afternoon or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. Amen. Amen. It's been so great to have Sister Victoria with us. Are you grateful she came to Life Church today? Sister Victoria, thank you for coming and being a part of us today. You're always welcome at Life Church. Go ahead and be seated. I know that time has kind of got a little away, and you know what? But I'm okay with that. When God interrupts the program, that's a good Sunday. <laughs> you know, when the program's never interrupted, we don't want that. And so uh, today we're grateful that God came and God ministered already. I'm going to start a brand new sermon series. I'm going to put it on high speed, uh, fast mode here. I see the time, and I'm going to ask God to come and, and just minister. I believe God's got a great word for us today. And I'm excited to bring it to you on this first Sunday of December. Um, the, the title of this sermon or, or this series is called The Outsiders. Someone look at your neighbor and say, you're an outsider. <laughs> you're an outsider. You probably shouldn't be here. Tell someone you probably shouldn't be here. This is not the way we typically greet our people at Life Church, but this, it's the truth today. You know, the traditional nativity scene has a fixed set of characters. Some of you might even have a nativity scene, manger scene out in your house. You have Mary and Joseph. You, of course, have the baby Jesus. You have some wise men, some shepherds, maybe even a sheep or two, maybe a cow or some other animals. I'm not sure. You know, it's funny. The outsiders are not found in the traditional manger scene. You and I are not there. But the event that took place was all about the outsider. That old holy night was all for those of us who were the outsiders. It was all about us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the outsiders that he gave his only begotten son. Christmas is all about the outsiders. In fact, we're not going to preach this today, but Jesus is the ultimate outsider. You'll get that a few weeks down the road. I love Christmas. Some of you don't like Christmas that much. Some of you like Christmas to start at like September and end in about spring sometime. Uh, there are some Christmas people in the house. <laughs> Others might have a little bit of uh, maybe they're from the bloodline of Scrooge or Grinch. <laughs> Just get this holiday over. I, I want this one done quickly. Um, you know, there's a bunch of us in the middle there. But you know what? If you're here today and you're an avoider of Christmas, I just want to tell you today something to think about. That that event where Jesus was born in a manger it changed everything. And we celebrate 
that event at Life Church. Amen. Now, you, you can talk about Christmas in December from Luke. Mainly we go to Luke because there's a lot of great stuff in Luke to preach about. But, but this year, I'm going to begin in the first chapter of the book of Matthew. And I'm going to start reading from the beginning. And I want to, there's a truth I want to bring to you today. Um, you can stay seated. You don't have to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to do several scriptures here quickly. And so I don't want you standing for every single one anyhow. So just stay seated. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, I'm reading from the New King James Version today. The Bible says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. How many would like to be called Ram? <laughs> Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Exciting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Now let's get to some good stuff here. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. You know, these opening verses of Matthew, this is the start of the New Testament. They, they appear relatively mundane. Some would even think boring. It's a genealogy. I know there are people here that are into genealogies, but for the most part, we're not really into genealogies. Most people think, who cares how I got here? I'm here. You know, sometimes the scripture, we, we find there are sections that, that just appear a little uninspiring. To us, we read them and think, man, I didn't get anything out of that. But I want to remind us today that every word of this book is God breathed. Every word. There's not just some accidental stuff put into this word. This genealogy might not really seem very God-breathed, but this genealogy is God-breathed. Where on the surface it might seem dull or boring. As you begin to look at these opening words of the New Testament, there's a slide there that has that first um, page of Matthew chapter 1. The words couldn't be more shocking because there's some ladies mentioned in this chapter. It's mainly men. But as you read these first few verses that I read to you today, there's four women. Note it. Verse 3, Tamar. Verse 5, Rahab and Ruth. 
and verse 6, there's the wife of Uriah, and we know her by the name of Bathsheba. These women were not just any women. In fact, these four women had a little bit of a scandal associated with their name. Definitely not the women that, you know, the holy women of God found in the Bible. These four were not them. However, these women found their names written in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. These four women are actually revered by the Jews. In fact, one of them even made it to Hebrews chapter 11, which we know is the great hall of faith. This genealogy, we didn't read the whole thing. There's actually 16 verses in it. When you get to the 16th verse, there's a fifth woman that's mentioned, the final woman of the five, and it's with Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Bible calls her, you know, she was a chaste virgin. She was chosen by God. She fits. But the other four, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, most would say this, she shouldn't be here. Most would say, I don't know how she got her name in this genealogy because she shouldn't be here. She doesn't belong. She doesn't fit the narrative. Other women could possibly have found their name in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, but not these four. I want you again to look at someone beside you and say, you shouldn't be here. There's a cultural concept that we all know. We've felt it. We've experienced it. We've even participated in it, and it's called shunning others. To shun someone is to snub them, to ostracize them, to exclude them from your group, to reject them from your friends. We've all seen it. We've all felt it. Maybe we've all participated in it. You know where you find people, you're going to find people who are either shunned or shunning others or both in in every group. Shunning is a silent form of bullying Some are masters at it. They know how to roll the eye. They know how to give that cold shoulder. They know how to whisper about someone else in the room. There was a a guy 100 years ago, Frederick Thrasher. 
he studied gangs in Chicago. This is what he said. He said, isolation is common to almost every, someone say every, every vocational, religious, someone say religious, or even cultural group. Every group develops its own attitudes, codes, even its own language, which are only partially intelligible to others. You know, this bullying form called shunning others, it begins early in children. I don't know where you're at with kids, but if you're around kids for very long, they don't got to be very old to decide that you don't fit in this group. You're too tall, you're too short. You're too skinny, you're too fat. You're too rich or you're too poor. You're too smart or you're too simple. So the the shunning begins, and in reality, it never, ever stops. Why do people shun? It's because of their own issues, mainly. It's their own jealousy, their own resentment, their own fear, their own biases that that become a part of who they are. And so they, they shun others. Someone say others. They shun others who are outside of their comfort zone. They shun others who are different from them. They're not like us. And so people are viewed as the others, the shunned, and they ultimately become the outsiders. But there's good news. Jesus welcomes the shunned. Amen. Jesus welcomes the shunned. In fact, Christmas is God's welcome mat to everyone who has been shunned. The story of Jesus coming. He came for those who are shunned. And this story, we read it to you this morning in Matthew. It begins with four shunned women. Jesus came for the shunned. The first one was Tamar. The Bible says she was disguised as a prostitute. You know, there's a story here. There's a, there's a good story. It's a little bit longer than I want to take the time for, but if you go to Genesis chapter 38, you'll read about Tamar. Tamar was married to one of Judah's boys. This, this boy dies. And so Tamar becomes the widowed son-in-law of Judah. Now there was, because she was a widow, there was a Levitical right for her to have a kinsman redeemer that would come and take care of her. What does that mean? Well, it means that they would find another person, another male in the house that would marry her so that she could have children and she could carry on Judah's family name. This didn't happen for Tamar. They never gave her the kinsman redeemer. So what does Tamar do? She disguised herself as a prostitute. This is one of those things maybe we need to cover our ears. 
It's the word of God. She seduced her father-in-law, Judah. She got pregnant. And when the pregnancy was discovered, they wanted to take her out of the city and stone her to death until it was revealed that it was Judah who was indeed the father. Most would say Tamar shouldn't be here. But the Bible lets us know that Tamar is found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Tamar produced twin boys, Perez and Zerah. And it was Perez that continued down the lineage that ultimately ended up with King David and then Jesus Christ. Rahab, she was a Canaanite prostitute. Whereas Tamar was disguising herself as a prostitute, Rahab, there was no disguise. She was one. And everybody knew it. She lived in Jericho. She lived on the wall in Jericho. And when the spies came to spy out the land because they were going to overtake it, she befriended the spies. Helped them escape. And when, when this was all taking place, she said, all I want you to do is take care of my family. We believe in the God, that your God's going to take this city. And when, when it happens, just spare my family. And she was told, all you got to do, you got to find a red cord and hang it in the window. And if it's hanging in the window, those that are in the house will be spared. Hebrews 11 calls her simply this, Rahab the prostitute. We'd probably all say she shouldn't be there. But this genealogy tells us that Rahab married Solomon. And Rahab becomes the great, great grandmother of King David. Shouldn't be here. Ruth, verse 5, the Moabite. You see, the Moabites, I'm telling you, some of this has got to cover your ears to hear it, okay? The Moabites developed or originated because there was an incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. And the Jews were pro prohibited from intermarrying with the Moabites. Naomi, her husband and two boys, there was famine in the land. You know the story that they left and went down and, and eventually they come back. When Naomi comes back, her husband's dead, her two sons are dead, and she's got two daughter-in-laws by the name of Ruth and Orpah. Ruth decides, I'm going to follow my mother-in-law back to Bethlehem. And Ruth made the amazing declaration, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. We would probably all say that this Moabite person who really doesn't fit, she shouldn't be here. But the Bible says, talking about kinsmen redeemers, 
Naomi said, there's a kinsman redeemer. Let's, let's, let's go talk to this guy by the name of Boaz. And the story is a great story. They marry, and Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David. The fourth woman that shouldn't be here is the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. She was a good wife. She loved her husband. Her husband was a, a soldier in David's army. And the Bible says that there was a war, and, and Uriah goes off to war. David doesn't go. While he's away at war, King David, a lot of scenario, not going to get into the details, he takes advantage of Bathsheba. And when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, David tried to cover it up. He invites Uriah home. Go spend a night with your wife. But the honorable Uriah said, how can I do this when all the other men are fighting? When that didn't work for David, he sends Uriah back with orders. Put him in the heat of the battle and make sure he dies. Uriah dies in that battle. But because of the scenario in that culture, Bathsheba was considered damaged goods. We probably all agree Bathsheba shouldn't be in this genealogy. But the Bible says, the holy word of God says, the word of God that, that was written by holy men that were moved by the Holy Ghost includes this woman, the wife of Uriah, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. David marries her. Solomon is born. Solomon being the son of David. You know, in this genealogy, there's kings and scholars and prophets and patriarchs. And we're cool with that. But there's also liars and fornicators, and murderers in this genealogy. Most people tried to hide the embarrassing parts of our family history. We don't want people to know some of the family. They've embarrassed us. But Jesus, in his display of his family, he, he openly adds them and declares, this is my human lineage. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm almost done. I'm, I'm, can you guys give me a few more minutes? I know we're, we're normally done by now. Are you okay? I, I want to wrap this up because th this to me is a great message. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Bible lets us know that the word became flesh. That word that was in the beginning, that was God, the Bible says in John 1.1, 1, 1, it became flesh and dwelt 
among us. I don't normally preach from the message. You got to be careful when one guy translates the Bible. Eugene Peterson did, you know, he did a good job, but I don't preach from that. I don't put much stock in it. But I like what he said here. Okay, just, just take it for what it's worth. Okay, this is Eugene Peterson's interpretation of John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Hallelujah. Think about that. The God of heaven, the splendors of glory, streets of gold, gates of pearl. I mean, angels bowing down and worship. I mean, he left it all. He put on flesh and blood and he dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. And some of the hoods he moved into are not that nice. In fact, Matthew also lets us know later on in his book that Jesus was a friend of the publicans and sinners. He, he, he liked to get close. He, he actually put down those religious folks because they were looking at life a little incorrectly. And he spent a lot of time, he associated with those who were the sinners and those who were the shunned of society. You know what, Victoria, you didn't tell your story. You'll have to come back someday and tell us the story, okay? The whole story. Maybe not all the details, <laughs> but, but the story. We've all got a story. This is what I want to tell you today. Jesus delights in taking the shocking elements. He, he delights in taking the shameful parts of our story and weaving his mercy and his grace into the masterpiece of what he's created in you today. He, he delights in transforming people from what they were to what they are. That's what he wants to do. Hallelujah. One of the great men of old by the name of Martin Luther said this about Jesus. He accurately tells us what Jesus was like. He says, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Now, if the Lord does that here, so ought we to despise no one, but put ourselves right in the middle of the fight for sinners and help them. Hallelujah. If God loves sinners so much that he's willing to put them into his genealogy, we, we must get to the point that we're not quick to exclude, that we're not quick to shun someone, but we're quick to include them and welcome them in. I'm almost done. Tr trust me, I'm almost done. I see the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a long list of sins that Paul talks about. Look at the reasons why people could be shunned. Look at the reasons why people could be rejected or excluded from the group. Do you not know that the, what's the first word? 
unrighteous shall, or I guess I didn't do the shall, will. We went to New King James. Will not. Someone say will not. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, another one on the list, nor idolaters, check, nor adulterers, check, nor homosexuals. It says that in the word of God? It does. Nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound like a very inclusive list to me. In fact, I see exclusion all around those verses. You're any one of those, you're not going to get in. Seems like an exclusion club to me. We haven't read the whole text today. Look at the next verse. And such were some of you. Say that with me. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Where would we be today without the mercy and the grace and the compassion of Almighty God? If he hadn't been inclusive, we would not have a hope. But Jesus came with a plan for the outsiders. When he came as a baby in Bethlehem's manger, he came with a plan for the outsiders. It was all about the outsiders. It was all about the sinner. It was all about the unrighteous. Let's read the complete verse 11. Read it with me. And such were some of you. Oh, stop, stop, stop. But, hallelujah, hallelujah. That long list of unrighteous and fornicators and adulterers and all that junk that was attached to our names. And such were some of you. But, hallelujah. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I don't know about you, but that does something for me. We were all outsiders. We all didn't deserve to be a part of this. Everybody's standing with me. I, I, I got a little tiny, tiny bit more. That God of heaven robed himself in flesh, made his entry into this world by a baby in Bethlehem's manger. Why did he do it? He did it for the outsiders. Ephesians chapter 2. This is my last verse to read. Ephesians 2.11. New Living Translation. I, because there's words in here that the New Living tells us that's not the same as the King James. That's why I went to New Living on this one. Read, read it with me. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be... What's it say? Outsiders. Don't forget that all of you Gentiles used to be outsiders. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were, what is the next word? 
excluded from the citizen among the people of Israel. You didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Doesn't look very good. Outsiders, excluded, without God, without hope. But again, that's not the end of the story. Verse 13, hallelujah. But now, but now, we've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were afar away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I don't know about you, but that deserves a little bit of worship to God. He deserves a little bit of praise that he came for you, the outsider. Hallelujah. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, they shouldn't be here. But they are. You and I shouldn't be here, but we are. We've been brought in. We've been, we're no longer on the outside. We've been brought into the inside. We're no longer excluded, but we are welcomed into the family of God because he's provided his salvation. He's provided the washing. He's provided the sanctification. He's provided all the things that he's brought for us, the justification. Hallelujah. Jesus came so that the outsider could become an insider. Let's take a moment and worship him, church. Hallelujah. Let's take a moment and thank him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone needs to lift their voice right now and give him a little praise. Someone needs to lift their voice and give him a little praise. Hallelujah. Someone needs to give him a little bit of honor. Someone needs to give him a little bit of worship right now. Hallelujah. He made a way. He made a way where there was no way. If you're here today and you need God to make a way in your life, this altar is open. God wants to do it for someone today. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram and on Facebook, just search Life Church and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. Now, before you go, we ask if possible from whatever platform you may be listening to us on, give us a rating or a review or even both and share this message with someone so that they can be impacted by the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.